tonight on Global News, reopening after a serious setback. So 100% of the contents was damaged. The business owners pushing through costly vandalism that left their future hazy. Plus, Palestine will be free! Palestine will be free! Protesters in Vancouver joining people in dozens of cities across Canada. Save lives, save babies being killed, save humanity. For a national day of action demanding a ceasefire in Gaza. Also ahead, cultures intersecting. 7 Jan is meant to honour the, the seven teachings that have passed on since time immemorial. How Indigenous values are being upheld and celebrated through skateboarding. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Retailers across the province have been faced with unprecedented challenges the last few years. First, it was the pandemic. Now, even more economic uncertainty due to inflation and rising rents. A shop in Maple Ridge is overcoming another issue, though, vandalism. But after being hit with two instances of it this year, the shop owners are getting back on their feet. And as Grace Key reports, the community is welcoming them back with open arms. It's incredible. They said eight months, right? Yeah, but you know what? You and your mom don't take that kind of time. We know you guys. With a lot of hard work and community support, Once Upon a Tea Leaf in Maple Ridge is back open to customers and time for holiday shopping. And you got a full store. You do. That's, that's the important part. Welcoming everybody yes. back. Right. Seeing all these faces again. Feels nice. The store has been vandalized twice this year. At 2.30 in the morning on September 21st, someone smashed the store window and threw two smoke flares inside. Orange residue layered the store and all the merchandise had to be thrown out. A similar incident happened on June 25th. Someone broke the window and threw bear spray inside. It was zap strapped to keep it spraying. Nothing was stolen in either incidents. It is overwhelming to be able to welcome this community back. Um, we have such beautiful relationships with our customers and we have missed them so dearly and we have hustled so hard behind the scenes to be able to open before the Christmas holidays and to see everyone show up for us. Um, it's been it's been pretty amazing and pretty emotional, actually. The business is insured, but the community rallied with an online fundraiser to help the store get back on its feet as quickly as possible. It's very heartbreaking when you have a store that's, you know, so well-known in the community and they, they give a lot in the community as well. And you hear about that happening, especially more than once. We just wanted to support them because they just reopened because, yeah, we donated lots of money to help them and we just wanted to come here to buy some stuff to support them. This is a Christmas uh, shopping tradition for me. So I come here, get a bunch of stocking stuffers and everything for Secret Santas and stuff like that. The community rallied around uh, to, to pull together to, to try to get this place ready for Christmas. A police investigation is ongoing and no arrests have been made yet. The store has stepped up security measures. and The owner has this message for the vandals. You didn't take my community and you didn't take the magic that lives in here. Grace Key, Global News. BC Hydro says significant progress has been made on outages following Friday night's storm and those still in the dark should have power back by the end of the day. But remnants of the fall storm are still on display today like this sailboat washed ashore in Vancouver's David Lamb Park. The wind gusts brought dozen, 
down dozens of spans of power line and poles. Some equipment was also damaged in the storm that saw 325,000 outages across the Sunshine Coast, Lower Mainland and Vancouver Island. A new passenger ferry service between Vancouver and the island has had a bit of a rough ride through the first fall storm. Hello Ferries has had to cancel all sailings this weekend due to minor weather damage to one of their vessels. The other vessel is currently undergoing pre-planned warranty work that requires dry docking over the next week. All customers will be issued refunds so far. Monday sailings appear to be a go. It's beginning to look a little more bare in Stanley Park as crews take down trees killed by the hemlock looper moth. Work began this week in areas of the park most affected, including near the Lionsgate Bridge and Prospect Point. The Vancouver Park Board says recent droughts and harsh winters have made Stanley Park's trees more vulnerable to the moths and less likely to recover. There are plans to restore the areas impacted and the Park Board says next steps and a long-term approach will be shared in the months ahead. In the meantime, park users can expect some trail and road closures during the week until December 22nd. A BC Correctional Officers Union leader says a prison in the Fraser Valley is dealing with a significant drug problem. The regional president of the Union of Canadian Correctional Officers says staff at the Mountain and Kent institutions in Agassiz have been dealing with drone deliveries to prisoners and have seen multiple overdoses among inmates as a result. The union says the officers in Agassiz seized close to 200 grams of drugs at the prison on Wednesday, including crystal meth. Advancement technology that I guess the criminals have to get contraband into the institution. Like that's sort of the ground zero of the problem. Um, So like drones, that's probably the biggest one. Drones has become such a huge plague for us that, uh, you know, we've gone from old school corrections, which was, you know, body cavity and the odd throwover to now they can deliver a football sized package of, of drugs or weapons. The union adds there have been two fatal overdoses at the prison within the last month. There is concern British Columbians with HIV have less access to an injectable drug compared to other provinces. Infectious diseases physician Dr. Brian Conway is questioning why the BC Centre for Excellence in HIV and AIDS, not a health practitioner, decides who qualifies for the injectable drug called Cabinuva. Conway says the centre declined approval for all 15 patients he's applied for since the spring. He said six of them were rejected because they were deemed to be responding well to the drug in pill form. Cabanuva is considered a breakthrough in the evolution of medicines for patients who once had to take multiple daily pills. An online trend may be behind why an Okanagan senior had her car broken into this weekend. The trend is targeting people with a certain make of vehicle. But as Victoria Famia reports, the prank has now left its victim without a set of wheels. The morning of Remembrance Day took a turn for Summerland senior Sharon Justin after finding out her vehicle is now likely a total loss. We were getting ready to go to all the, the functions and we came out to the car and noticed the car was all broken into and it's been graffitied and the window was all smashed. But inside the vehicle, the damage is even worse. The steering column is completely ruined. Uh, they've ripped down the cover that goes on the ignition and they've tried to 
turn on the ignition with some kind of tool and they've destroyed it. Scratches and wires are all ripped out. Ashley's mother Sharon is no stranger to vandalism to her car. Just two months ago, her back window was smashed in while parked outside Parkdale Place Housing Society. But this time was very different. Written on her car were the words Kia boys failed, along with other vulgar language. And after a quick internet search, Ashley realized her mother might have been targeted because of the make of her vehicle. But I looked up uh, Kia boys and it's I guess something on the internet where they've posted a, a quick video on how to boost a Kia and a Hyundai really quickly with a USB cable and it's like a thing now. People are tagging break-ins and trying to be Instagram famous or something and, and now my mom's being targeted. So apparently this is super common but what they did is they took the whole ignition like where I put my key and it's gone. I cannot start my car. The tow truck guy could not start my car unless we hotwired it. My car was not moving. The trend seems to have started in the U US and the creator of that video goes on to say she reported it to police who told her the vandals often come back to steal the car later. The family believes the vandals came back to steal the vehicle after initially vandalizing it as the ignition was found visibly tampered with even further a day after it all happened. I think they came back. Yeah, I think the kids. So yesterday when I had a look at it, it was it wasn't pushed in all the way. And this morning it's pushed in greater. Ashley says people should consider putting a club on their steering wheel, but hopes this type of vandalism doesn't happen to anyone else. Her mother has reported the incident to RCMP. Victoria Famia, Global News, Summerland. Still to come, skateboarding with purpose. Pros and amateurs are in Vancouver for a skate event showcasing Indigenous culture. Also ahead, a verdict reached in the case of disgraced fashion mogul Peter Nygaard facing multiple sexual assault charges. Connecting generations through sport is nothing new, but connecting generations through skateboarding might be. It's been more than a decade since Vancouver hosted a major skateboarding event, but this weekend more than 2,000 people took in the 7-Gen Skate Festival at the PNE, an Indigenous-hosted event aimed at bringing people of all backgrounds together. As Angela Jung reports, it's inspired the next generation of skateboarders. Catching big air amongst some big names. Dropping in Olympians and amateurs. It gets really excited. 13-year-old rider is from Spuzzum First Nation, north of Hope. He says being on wheels puts a smile on his face. When I first started, I wasn't that good. Like, but like once I got better, it just made me feel happy. And everything. At 7 Gen Skate Festival, Indigenous heritage is being honoured. We wanted to create an environment where Indigenous people feel welcome. And we're trying to build capacity in the support. By exposing the sport to young people early on and empowering them. Health is one of our seven laws, so if we can expose our kids to healthy activities and keep them on a good path, I think that's really important. There's no shortage of role models here. Several Olympic skateboarders are taking part in the competition for pros. The moment you step on a board, there's a common bond within it's a struggle. And that's why we're here today is to show skateboarding and let people know this is a great place. Many here say, Just get on your board like that. Skating is for everyone. 7 Gen is an inclusive event welcoming people of all abilities. Hey, I got it. <laughs> and chasing that feeling can be addicting. After that lesson, I just we went out and bought a board because I was so excited and I haven't stopped since. As for Ryder, 
he lives up to his name, with his sights set on an iconic concrete playground. Well, one day I'd like to go to like, what's it called, like Venice Beach. Angela Jung, Global News. Today marks Diwali and celebrations have been ongoing throughout the day. For Hindus, Diwali is celebrated at the Mandir. At Vancouver's Sri Mahalakshmi Hindu Temple, the evening will be celebrated with the lighting of diyas and puja, the singing of hymns. For Hindus, the occasion marks the welcoming of new light, prosperity and wealth. Diwali teaches that you should be cheerful, light and also sharing. When you share, that's how today the special prasad is called laddu. A beautiful we distribute everybody is made here only in the temple. That is a sweet, it's very special prasad. We distribute sweet brings sweetness among the mankind. So therefore, every people who born in this family, and uh, one week before they started to cleaning their home, and yet so therefore every day there is a special function. Today is the most precious function. At a Surrey Gurdwara this morning, celebrations began with prayers and the singing of hymns. People of all ages visited Gurdwaras today to light divas and enjoy a meal. For six, the occasion marks the release of their sixth guru and 52 kings he helped, who were all wrongfully imprisoned in the 19th century. When we talk about Bandishur Devas, that happened in this stage, Kaljuk, about 500 years ago, 500 uh, Guru. Har Gubinji, Har Gurbind Sahib, he took over the Gurgadishyabad, so he wore two swords. One was called Miri and one was Piri. Miri represent temporal, temporal and uh, Piri represent uh, spiritual ter- uh, spirituality. Still ahead, a national day of action. The dozens of rallies, including one here in Vancouver, demanding a ceasefire in Gaza. And two BC organizations dedicated to helping others get a big boost of their own, winning a coveted North American prize. Demands for a ceasefire from protesters at Vancouver City Hall as Israel's bombardment of Gaza continues. From the river to the sea! From the river to the sea! Palestine will be free! Palestine will be free! These were the scenes from this afternoon as protesters in Vancouver joined 46 other cities across the country in a national day of action calling for a ceasefire. Those in attendance had a message for the Canadian government. That's actually why people love Canada, because it's an icon for peace and humanity. And we expect the government to, to uphold this, these principles. So if this is not achieved, we are down the streets day and night And I'm standing against the complicity of the Western world in this ongoing genocide and making folks realize that we are all responsible when this takes place. And the consequences of this, to let this continue, it affects everyone. Rallies were also held across Canada, including Toronto, Edmonton and Montreal. After weeks of waiting, Canadians hoping to escape the Gaza Strip are getting their chance. The Rafa border crossing reopened to foreign nationals earlier today. 234 Canadians, permanent residents and eligible family members crossed into Egypt. Global Affairs Canada previously confirmed that 266 Canadian citizens and their families had been cleared to cross the border on Friday, although none were able to leave due to the latest two-day closure. 
A total of 107 people with connections to Canada were able to leave Gaza through the Rafah crossing last week. The Canadian government says it does not determine how many people can cross each day. We want to warn you, some may find this next story upsetting. The World Health Organization says Gaza's largest hospital is not functioning as a hospital anymore. The head of the WHO says it has transformed into scenes of death, devastation and despair. As Danielle Hamamjan reports, what is clear is the sickest in Gaza are not getting the medical help they need, not even the youngest patients. Some of these babies, likely all of them, are younger than the war itself. There is now not enough electricity left to power the generators. It means having to take the newborns off their incubators. Doctors at Al-Shifa Hospital say the women's ward was bombed, and so here they are, sleeping next to each other on a single bed. At least three have died. Staff say they expect to lose more day after day. We are uh, nearly sure that we are alone now. No one hear us. But we want someone to give us the guarantee that we can evacuate the patient. Satellite images show the destruction of hospitals in the enclave. Shifa is the largest of them all. Doctors Without Borders says medics and patients are trapped inside due to heavy clashes around the hospital complex. Even if you are wounded or injured or in the Gaza area, you cannot be evacuated by ambulance to Shifa Hospital. So Shifa Hospital now is out of service. This is the situation. But the Israeli military offers a different account, claiming it supplied 300 liters of fuel for urgent medical purposes. Here's a video it says shows Israeli troops placing jerry cans near the hospital, as had been coordinated in advance with officials at Al-Shifa. Israel says Hamas then prevented the medical center from receiving them. It has also repeatedly claimed that Hamas's headquarters are located under the hospital. The focus of the Israeli military campaign, one bolstered by weapons supplied by its staunchest ally. But the U.S. is warning Israel. We do not want to see a firefight in a hospital where innocent people, helpless people, uh, people seeking medical care are caught in the crossfire. The Al-Quds hospital also announced it was out of service and still in northern Gaza and in the dark. Surgeries at the Indonesian hospital are being carried out in corridors. That's Mossab Sobiyah's little body on the floor. Doctors tried to save his life using a manual resuscitator. And they succeeded. Over the past few days, more than 100,000 residents have been forced to flee south, not knowing if or when they'll ever return. Parents do not know what to tell their children. The anger is not only directed at Israel. This is not a way to live. The Arab world has let us down, he says. Why don't they come and help rid us of the occupation that is bombing us left and right? The whole world has let us down, he says. The progressive world that boasts about human rights has let us down. Over the weekend, Israel said its forces would take the newborn babies from Al-Shifa Hospital to safety, but now claim they've not been told how to get them out.
there are at least 40 newborn babies and the clock is ticking. Danielle Hamam, Jim Global News, Jerusalem. Montreal police are investigating after a Jewish school was hit by gunshots for a second time in less than a week. As Elizabeth Sogalis reports, the incident appears to be the latest in a string of hateful acts in the city in connection with the conflict between Israel and Hamas. Emergency services received several calls around 5 a.m. on Sunday after gunshots were heard near the Yeshiva Gedola school in the Cote d'Inej neighborhood. No student or no personnel or no person was uh, directly harmed by this other than damages to the building. Spokesperson for the Yeshiva school, Lionel Perez, called it a terrorist attack. They want to try and scare us into closing our schools, into not educating our children. They will fail. Montreal Mayor Valérie Plante said the Jewish community in Montreal is under attack, but would not call it an act of terrorism. It's absolutely preoccupying and we need to do everything that is needed. And as Mayor of Montreal, working with the SPVM, we want to secure everybody and make sure that there's enough security around, around the establishments as well. Executive committee member responsible for public security, Alain Vaillancourt, says security is being increased. The patrols that are now on place are not responding to regular calls or urgent calls. They're uniquely patrolling the area. In a statement following the incident, Premier François Legault says his heart goes out to Quebec's Jewish community and every effort will be made to punish those responsible. In the meantime, thousands of demonstrators gathered in Montreal Sunday afternoon to condemn violence in Gaza and to demand a ceasefire. What happened on October the 7th was not a good thing, but the response that was done by Israel, I mean, look, you can see. Many demonstrators say Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has been too complacent. In a moment like this, how are you going to just allow a genocide to occur? Some pro-Palestinian Montrealers are also condemning the recent acts of violence at Jewish schools. The people who did that, I think that they should be like uh, punished like everyone else doing crimes. Montreal police say the hate crimes unit is investigating the yeshiva school shootings. Elizabeth Zogalis, Global News, Montreal. Still to come, from salmon arm to the silver screen, the BC teen who set world records for stacking Jenga blocks is the inspiration for a new movie. Stay with us. The CKNW Kids Fund Pink Shirt Day campaign recognizes the importance of diversity. So let's lift each other up on Pink Shirt Day, Wednesday, February 28th. Presented by Fortis BC, energy for a better BC. Three years ago, Alden Maxwell became the Jenga kid of Salmon Arm after claiming multiple Guinness World Records. He's now a teenager but hasn't grown out of his Jenga stacking ways. And as Sidney Morton reports, a movie inspired by Maxwell's life is set to hit the small screen. Block by block, Alden Maxwell has stacked his way to the top. He's collected five Guinness World Records in three years, with his passion for stacking Jenga blocks. I beat my record for the third time for most Jenga blocks stacked on one. I got 1,840 blocks, and I beat my giant Jenga blocks for the second time by stacking 900. Stacking things comes naturally to Alden because of his superpower. He is on the spectrum and has always dreamed of getting his name into the Guinness Book of World Records records. I do think that um, Alden is magic and I knew it from 
kind of the beginning. I knew that he was different, but as time went on, I knew that he was really, really special. Not only is Alden collecting Guinness World Records, he is now collecting acting credits. A Hallmark movie inspired by his record-breaking achievements is about to be released. Will thought that uh, stacking Jenga blocks when I was six would get me to having a movie inspired by me. I want to break a world record. He even makes a cameo in the movie, where he gives the character inspired by him a pep talk. He was so good on, on set. I got to be right behind where the, the camera was, and he spoke to his character as a fan purchasing a block for a charity that's in the movie. Uh, he nailed his lines. The movie, titled A World Record Christmas, airs November 16th. And after that, Alden says he will set his sights on breaking even more Guinness World Records, including his own. Sydney Morton, Global News. Okay, Yvonne's here now. And Yvonne, uh, what's the forecast looking like? <laughs> Is it going to be weather that's going to make you want to stay inside and maybe watch a movie? Yeah, this evening, but it's good news as we round off the long weekend. Thanks so much, Travis, and good evening, everyone. We've got some sunshine in the mix once again, and I'll have that coming up in just a moment. But still very wet and windy this evening. We are tracking some rainfall. Some of the winds have already started to pick up. It's sustained out of the airport at 24, and we are seeing some of those gusts closer to 40 kilometers per hour. Speaking of the winds, I did want a, a snapshot or show you some of the peak wind us that we did capture over the weekend. Uh, Saturna Island getting over 100 kilometers per hour over the Alex Fraser Bridge at 84, Pitt Meadows 74, the airport 72, and a gust out of Victoria with up to 63 kilometers per hour. And now it is going to slowly ease as we get into early next week. There's a swath of moisture. It's green right across the board that'll extend right in towards the Fraser Valley. Higher elevations if you're traveling along the Sea to Sky, as well as the Kootenai Pass. I'll have that coming up in just a moment. There's the rainfall. It'll be heaviest overnight and then tapering off to a chance of showers for tomorrow morning. As we get in towards the afternoon, we'll see that sunshine and we've got a nice break in between systems for all areas along the south coast. So there's that wave of moisture and behind it, we'll see some breaks. We do have some snow that's intensifying this evening. That's across the central interior, five and up to 10 centimeters. And then that same system is actually going to drive its way in towards the south and the areas of concern will be along the Kootenai Pass. So most areas could just still see those lingering showers for a Monday morning, breaks and some sunshine towards the afternoon. This is the area of concern. If you're traveling along the Kootenai Pass, this will be for tomorrow afternoon and leading in towards the evening. That snowfall warning giving anywhere between 10 and potentially up to 15 centimeters of snow. So you'll want to check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. Sea to sky this evening could still see up to five centimeters. Areas near the Coquihalla, it's just wet snow near the summit and the connector as well as the Allison Pass ranging between two and up to four centimeters. Now the northern half of the province, some breaks, a nice clearing is on the way. The heaviest snow across the central interior should start to taper off as we look towards the noon hour. The southeastern corners could see some wet flurries and then changing over to a chance for some showers. Whistler will see that transition drying out through the day. Most areas along the south coast as well as the lower Mainland will start off with a bit more rain, especially for the Fraser Valley. By the afternoon tomorrow, some sunshine, still a bit breezy with gusts of up to 40. A sunball, Barry, you're back. Tuesday, we're looking at 8 degrees. And then on our Wednesday, we are going to see a slight chance for some showers. Travis? Okay, thanks, Yvonne. Two BC organizations have one big down south. We caught up with Honor House this past summer as they had just been chosen as a finalist in the Land Rover 2023 Defender Service Awards. Yesterday evening in Texas, the winners were announced and Honor House was awarded the grand prize. 
a Land Rover Defender and $25,000 U.S. The organization previously told Global Honor News Ranch. it planned to use the vehicle for its latest project, Honor Ranch in Ashcroft, which helps veterans and first responders receiving treatment for PTSD. Squamish Search and Rescue also won the same prize in the Search, Rescue and Emergency Services categories. Some big wins there. I was looking it up. There's only six categories, and this is continent-wide. Wow. So for two of those categories to be taken by BC organizations, that's yeah. big. Impressive. Yeah. Any big wins in sports? <laughs> There's a lot. I'm back from uh, Winnipeg. I have to say two words, wind chill. Yeah. <laughs> wind chill gets you in Winnipeg. Too bad about the lines. We actually heard from uh, Vernon Adams talking about uh, next year already. But, uh, hey, the Canucks just got off the ice. Didn't play very well in Toronto last night, but they made up for it. That's such a good sign for a good team to bounce back. Played like we've kind of expected them to play against the Habs. So we'll have highlights of their win. Seahawks win in a dramatic fashion. And tennis fans... Canada is uh, the kings and queens now of uh, team tennis in the world as uh, we won the Billie Jean King Cup in Spain at the Davis Cup by the men as well. So Canada is like the best tennis country overall team-wise, individually, maybe not, but team-wise, we got it. We love playing for the Maple Leaf, so we have highlights of that as well. Big day for tennis mm -hmm. in this country. Thanks, Barry. And still to come, we'll introduce you to an award-winning Indigenous-owned company being recognized for the important and painstaking work it's doing. Stay with us. Jury has found disgraced fashion mogul Peter Nygaard guilty in four counts of sexual assault. Catherine McDonald has the details from outside the Toronto courthouse. Peter Nygaard showed no emotion as the jury foreman said the word guilty four times. The verdicts come after nearly five days of deliberations. And today means justice for women who in some cases have been waiting for more than three decades. He's guilty. Guilty on four out of the five charges. This woman who supported many of the victims who testified tells the woman that the 82-year-old has just been found guilty on four counts of sexual assault. The message from the survivors who have the guilty, the guilty verdict in their names share it not only with the one who didn't get the guilty verdict in this case, but with every other survivor, every other girl and woman who Peter Nygaard has, uh, has harmed. It's the end of a long road to justice for these women, two of whom Nygaard raped 35 years ago in the bedroom suite of the Toronto headquarters of his fashion empire. A 16-year-old who was raped there in 2005 when she thought she was going to a party and a woman who was nearly raped were it not for a receptionist who buzzed Nygaard on the intercom. This is a crime that typically happens in private and profoundly impacts human dignity. To stand up and recount those indignities in a public forum such as a courtroom is never easy and takes great courage. I got zero benefit for being a whistleblower. It's not a good brand association to be the son of a monster. Nygaard's son Kai, who said he lost his inheritance to fight for justice, flew in from Los Angeles for the verdict. For me it was emotional, but again I'd like to stress, there are so many survivors out there who, this is their day. Nygaard was arrested by Toronto Police in October 2021 and has been in custody ever since. His lawyer says it's too early to say if Nygaard will appeal, nor what an appropriate sentence would be. It's a matter of uh, considering the outcome and considering whether the rulings will dictate uh, an appeal. A date for sentencing will be set on November 21st. And after the trial is finished here, Nygaard will be facing criminal charges in Winnipeg, Montreal and in New York State. 
though he is fighting his extradition to the United States. Catherine McDonald, Global News, Toronto. Up ahead, a monumental day for tennis in Canada. The Canadian women winning the Billie Jean King Cup for the first time. Barry's here with the details. Not the greatest sports day for local fans yesterday, mm. but with the with the Lions and all. But uh, today, different story. Turned it around. That's right. Canucks lost. Lions lost yesterday. Nothing but sweet victory today. Thanks, Travis. Uh, after a flat performance last night in Toronto that saw the Canucks lose in regulation for the first time in three weeks, they were right back at it tonight at Canada's other hockey mecca, Montreal. The young Habs have been playing well recently, coming off a 3-2 overtime win last night over the highly rated Boston Bruins. So, what kind of bounce back would we see from these Canucks? Elias Pettersson, 25th birthday, leads the scoring race with 25 points in 14 games. Teddy Bluger in the lineup for the first time this year, missed a month after blocking a shot in preseason. Nothing much in the first, but Carson Soucy takes a shot on the back of the skate in the second in big pain. He would leave the game and not return. We finally got a goal. About six minutes into the second, great feed by J.T. Miller to Connor Garland, who redirects past Jake Allen. Garland's second of the year and first since opening night versus the Oilers. Habs, though, come right back. Christian Dvorak will risk the screenshot past Casey to Smith, and it's 1-1. Or is it? Canucks challenge for offside, and a good challenge. Cole Caulfield is in a step early. Offside, no goal, remains 1-0. And then a few minutes later... With Habs goalie Jake Allen without a stick, Ilya Mikheyev rips the long-range wrister, his sixth to make it 2-0 Vancouver. Meanwhile, Casey DeSmith, more solid work in goal tonight. Three big stops, two off Yuri Slavkovsky, another off Christian Dvorak. And then minutes later, great fourth-line pressure, Connor Garland driving to the net. Stopped twice, and then Dakota Joshua chips in his second of the year. 3-0 Canucks. I like the way Garland has played this year, finding a role on the bottom six. More from DeSmith. Teddy Bluger hands it to Brendan Gallagher, but DeSmith with the glove save. 3-0 Van City after two. Third period, Habs on the power play, and they finally find the back of the net. Mike Matheson from the slot rips it top shelf. Canucks lead down to 3-1. Vancouver, though, on the power play. Can Pedersen get a point on his birthday? Sets up Besser, but Jake Allen, solid save to keep it 3-1. But late in the game, Brock Besser is going to seal the deal. The empty netter, his 12th. Phil DiGiuseppe also got another empty netter. 5-2 the final. Canucks now 11-3-1, third best in the entire league, host the Islanders Wednesday. Meanwhile, North Vans' Connor Bedard and the Blackhawks in Florida taking on the Panthers. Connor scored twice in his last game and was at his highlight reel best today. What a play. Steals the puck and then from the sharp angle, shelves it short side on Sergei Bobrovsky for his eighth. We've seen him score from that near impossible angle before. What a shot. Ties it 2-2. How about this for an encore in the second? Check out the move. Goes underneath the stick of the D-man to improve the angle, then goes posting in on Bobrovsky. His fourth goal in his last two games, nine goals, 13 points in his first 13 NHL games as an 18-year-old, we remind you. Late in the second, Bedard on the rush takes a questionable hit from Dmitry Kulikov, and the Hawks don't like it. 36-year-old Nick Foligno, he's Connor's protector and big brother, roughs up Kulikov. Connor was all right. Blackhawks ended up losing 4-3, but Bedard getting up to speed after his first month in the NHL, and it is so fun to watch. 
Well, despite winning last night in Seattle, the Oilers finally fired their head coach, Jay Woodcroft, today along with assistant Dave Manson and replaced them with former Kootenai Ice bench boss Chris Knobloch and Oiler Hall of Fame defenseman Paul Coffey. Knobloch, who is coaching the Rangers affiliate, the Hartford Wolfpack in the AHL, used to coach Connor McDavid in junior. Coincidence? I think not. And Coffey will take Manson's place as an assistant. Coffey's never been a coach in the NHL before, but the Oilers are in desperation mode, sitting 31st in the standings. Well, tennis fans in Canada are pinching themselves after our country captured its first ever Billie Jean King Cup world team title today in Spain. Just like the men did last year winning the Davis Cup for the first time, the Canadian woman uh, put in the performance of a lifetime to make history. And now Canada owns both the men's and women's championships at the same time. Who would have saw that coming a decade ago? Canada discovered its future tennis star this weekend. 18-year-old Marina Stakusik of Toronto ranked number 256. She was a giant killer, knocked off three players in the top 60, including Martina Trevesan of Italy, who's ranked number 42. But Stakuzak was just better than uh, Trevesan, and she got Canada off to a great start, winning 7-5-6-3, and uh, it's amazing. She went 3-1 in singles this week, and Canada only won because she elevated her game. Remember that name. And then Leila Annie Fernandez playing her best tennis, I think, since the 2021 U.S. Open run. She took on Jasmine Paolini, who's ranked 30th. Leila ranked 36th, but Leila playing top five tennis right now. Beautiful point here. And then on match point... It's the winner, and she went 4-0 this week, knocking off some of the best. Canada can celebrate its first ever Billie Jean King Cup. Canada's men, as we said, won the Davis Cup last year, so Canada owns both team titles right now. Davis Cup starts next Monday as Canada looks to defend amazing stuff for Canadian tennis. NFL today, Seahawks and Commanders from Seattle. Seahawks trying to rebound from that thrashing in Baltimore last week. This was a concern. Star receiver Tyler Lockett takes a nasty helmet-to-helmet hit from Emmanuel Forbes. Lockett went to concussion protocol but was okay, stayed in the game. Forbes was ejected for that hit. Third quarter, Hawks down 12-9, but Geno Smith dumps it to Kenneth Walker. He does the rest down the sidelines all the way to the house. 64-yard TD. Hawks lead 16-12. Fourth quarter now tied at 19. Seahawks threatening again and Smith with a perfect delivery to Tyler Lockett in the corner of the end zone for the touchdown. Seattle back up top 26-19, but the Commanders and their young quarterback Sam Howell have an explosive offense, and right on cue, Howell slinging it to De'Ami Brown. That's a touchdown, and we're tied at 26 with under a minute to go. But Geno Smith had time. Two huge completions to get the Hawks into field goal range, and this was the key one to DK Metcalf for 27 yards. He got down with about... 15 seconds left, they spiked the ball to kill the clock, and then on the final play of the game, Jason Myers from 43 yards out drills it, and the Seahawks win in dramatic fashion, 29-26. Seattle improves to 6-3, 29-26 should be the final. Earlier, 49ers visiting the Jacksonville Jaguars, and after struggling for a couple of games, the 49ers have found their game again. Brock Purdy to his big tight end, George Kittle. And Kittle's taken that one all the way, a 66-yard touchdown. Niners just dominated in all facets. It was a miserable day for Jags quarterback Trevor Lawrence. Two interceptions, was sacked five times by the Niners' defense. 34-3, San Francisco wins their 6-3, just like the Seahawks, atop the NFC West. 
Well, the Lions are pretty banged up physically and emotionally after a tough 24-13 loss to the Bombers in the West Final last night in Winnipeg. Lions lost top receiver Keon Hatcher and defensive uh, secondary leader T.J. Lee within minutes of each other with expected Achilles injuries. Vernon Adams Jr. also got banged up early and was limited with his movement, but no excuses. Winnipeg, I think, still a better team. Lions need to address their shortcomings in the offseason, but Adams is hoping that this core group can remain together to give it another shot. Yeah, man, I think we're a pretty tight group in there, man. Uh, a lot of us are here from the year before and, you know, and um, we, we love it. We, we love coming to work together every day. You know what I'm saying? Um, those guys have so much fun in the locker room and, and our culture is just it's, it's unmatched. And so, um, yeah, you know, I don't think I need to say too much, but I will put in my say to the guys and um, try to get back the best team we can get to, to host next year. Yeah, the Lions do host the Great Cup next year. English Premiership today, first place Man City taking on 10th place Chelsea. A wild game, three all late stages when Rodri steps in into one from distance. And as you can see on the replay, yeah, that took a deflection. Rodri got credit for the goal, 4-3 Man City. But in stoppage time, Ruben Diaz with the very obvious foul in the box, penalty awarded to the Blues. And it's Cole Palmer who coolly blasts home the tying goal. And Chelsea and Man City play to a four-all draw. City's lead now just a point over second-place Liverpool who won today. That is it for sports. Yeah, Canucks come back home uh, Wednesday against the Islanders. Thanks, Barry. Historic sports day with that Canadian women's win. Yeah, it's yeah. been awesome for our tennis players, for sure. Yeah, nice to see. Mm -hmm. Okay, we'll take a quick break now. Stay with us. We'll have more news on the other side. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. All your local news. All your breaking news. All the news you need. Get it at 6. Global News Hour at 6. It's an inspiring story out of the province's interior. Sugarcane Archaeology is making big moves, having just won the Community-Owned Indigenous Business of the Year Award from the BC Achievement Foundation. The company is wholly owned by Williams Lake First Nation and has seen big growth since its inception. Jay Durant has the story. From just a handful of employees when it first launched in 2016 to dozens of staff and hundreds of projects, Sugarcane Archaeology is an inspiring success story in BC's central interior. We've spent every day advocating for real change in cultural heritage management in British Columbia. And to receive this award and have this achievement really shows the impact and effect of what I'm doing, what the crew's doing, and what we're doing as a nation every day. Jobs for industry and government are just part of the portfolio for Sugarcane. We've been involved in the expansion and redevelopment of the Caribou Memorial Hospital in Williams Lake. And then we also have a lot of our standard work that involves forestry clients and proponents. One of the most important projects we're currently involved in is the residential school investigation at St. Joseph's Mission. Everyone on site goes through a ceremony when they first go on the site. Um, they're given gifts that, you know, help with the process and, and where we're at on the land. Doing it in a good way is very important to us, and so is the growth that we see in our crew through doing these sorts of projects. Sugarcane is helping to inspire future archaeologists in the community, some joining the team right out of high school. 
this year we found a lot of village sites and there's also this village site that has a lot of lithics and artifacts on the ground. We get to work for Williams Lake First Nation and other surrounding local First Nations in the Caribou region. My job is to teach people how to do archaeology, but my real job is actually to learn from my crew and grow alongside them. Can I'll do the peace sign, <laughs> steal it. I'll do the bunny ears. I think everyone's very proud. I think our community is proud of us. I think the Caribou is proud of us too, and so it's really great. Jay Durant, Global News. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, email your ideas to j at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Yvonne, how's the weather? Okay? <laughs> Barry, this is going to be balmy for you coming back from Winnipeg, the forecast. That well, right? It feels probably refreshing. Yeah. That's the first time I've been in Winnipeg, I want to say, for like 40 years. <laughs> when I was a kid, I went there. Yeah. Uh, it's nice. I'd say I'll go back again in 40. Okay. No, it was okay. I don't want to say that. The people there are, are very nice. Very good prairie folk. Yeah. Sure. Saved it. Okay. I'll, I'll show you what we got, though, Barry, because this is going to be a little different than Winnipeg. But uh, for this evening, we're still tracking some rainfall. A bit breezy at times. It'll still be windy tomorrow, but we've got a nice clearing break on the way. We'll see some sunshine. Sunballs in the forecast will be for our Tuesday, which is great news. But Tuesday night, Barry, that's a cover your tomatoes, maybe, because we're mm. getting close to now, the my, freezer. My, Tomatoes are dead, and I got rid of them. So it doesn't matter. I don't have to cover anything anymore. Okay, well, for others, right? It'll be Tuesday night, a little bit colder, and then <laughs> it uh, yeah. looks like we have a few showers. But pleasant forecast, especially for tomorrow as we round off the long weekend. We will take it. Thank you, Yvonne, and thank you for joining us on this Sunday evening. We'll see you back here at 11.